This morning's reading comes from Matthew 8, verses 1 to 17. But before I read that, please bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we pray for open hearts and minds this morning. We eagerly wait for what you would speak to us through Pastor Matt's sermon. We pray that you would be in his words today. In Jesus' name, amen. So from Matthew 8, verses 1 to 17. When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. I wish I said Isaiah like that. We've been looking at uh, the Lord's Prayer. Ah, someone told me about 15 minutes ago that I'm a very clear preacher, and I'm like, well, in my head, I'm like, well, now I get to let you down. It's like, this is not clear all the time. It's just how my brain works. <sighs> We've been looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, since January, and what we're doing is then including other sections of Matthew to give our minds and our hearts a more full, more clear understanding of who Jesus is and what he was all about. Jesus healed many throughout uh, the Gospels. And in doing so, he helped us understand what kind of a kingdom he was talking about. The, the, what we receive by faith is a kingdom of heaven. What we receive by faith 
is called a kingdom in the Bible. And I think that seems weird to us because we picture castles maybe when we think of kingdom. But in the scriptures, the kingdom is righteousness, a guide to right living, joy, and peace. That's Romans 14, 17. We receive that by faith, and then we live accordingly. And when Jesus healed, we learned something about that kingdom. When he heals the leper, we see that the leper comes to him in faith by calling him Lord. We see that Jesus had compassion on him. And he wanted him restored to community. Mark actually covers this um, more aggressively, more directly perhaps than Matthew, but it might sound odd to you that Jesus said, don't tell anyone. He did this for a whole bunch of reasons. One, he didn't need the fame that would come from healing the leper. His fame was going to be what it needed to be in a relative sense. Two, the leper wasn't allowed to be with his community. And what he needed in addition to healing was restoration of community. So Jesus was giving him the next steps for that. With the centurion, you see a similar amount of respect. This is one of the longest healing sections in Matthew. And where we learn indirectly here that the kingdom is for everyone. And that many who think that they're in because of their religiousness will in fact not be part of the kingdom. Some of you who have read the Bible notice that in Matthew, the centurion speaks to Jesus directly, and in Luke, he sends people. And some of you have heard that the Bible is contradictory for reasons like that. In Matthew's way of teaching and um, learning, he is simply abbreviating the story. How many of you can immediately think of the family member who's going to tell a story that you've heard before, and they're going to mess up its humor level by making it too long with too many details? Some of you are like, you actually do that, Pastor. (laughs) And you're right. I've even gone to someone and asked them to help me make stories funnier, and the person is able to do it, and then I can't deliver. Because, well, all sorts of reasons I won't bore you with. That's all that's happening here. In Matthew's storytelling, he's abbreviating parts of the story that he doesn't think matter. They're not contradictory. They're told from two different vantage points, one by someone who interviewed a lot of the eyewitnesses and one who was an eyewitness himself. He wants to get to the heart of the story. In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus goes back to Nazareth and he teaches and they notice that his teaching is excellent and he heals some, but it says, and I'm paraphrasing, he could do no great work there. I don't know about you, but that used to confuse me. And it's because all of what Jesus did is part of his mission. So if the people were not going to listen to him because they're like, his sisters are here. His brother, this is Mary's son. Who is he to tell us how to understand the, the, the scriptures and the gospel and tell us to repent of all things? Because they weren't listening to him, he only performed a few miracles because his miracles go hand in hand with his message that faith in him is the only way to receive rest for your soul. It's not like he kryptonite. It's these things go together. And so if they were not going to listen to him, he ceased performing miracles there, though he did perform some. Jesus healed many, and it was part of his mission. I was in seminary and um, taking a class in the Gospels, and the professor said, why did Jesus heal? And someone raised his hand and said exactly what I was thinking, but didn't say, which was to prove his divinity. And the professor goes, well, then how come John and Peter and Elijah and Elisha and Moses had miraculous powers also? And we were all like, ooh, should have known better. 
is important. Why did Jesus heal? Because that's who he is, and that's what his kingdom brings. We're waiting on the fulfillment of that kingdom from his return to earth. But even now, we are being healed. It's non-metaphorical as Jesus walked around and met people besieged by demons or sick or even some who had died. But, by, but the kingdom alive in us now is a healing kingdom. I was meeting with a couple a number of years ago and the woman said, the pastor told me that I have ongoing stomach issues because I haven't forgiven my father. And I listened and she's tearing up and her husband's tearing up. And I just wanted to shout and say, no, that is not how God works. God does not inflict illness to teach us things. He allows it. And is unforgiveness incredibly dangerous? Yes. Is it in fact way more toxic than the worst stomach injury to your spirit and soul? Yes. Does God work that way, especially in like a computational, causal way? No. That's not how that works. That is actually leading, in saying that, you're actually leading people away from the real Jesus, who had harsher words to say about the dangers of unforgiveness. It's incredibly dangerous. But God doesn't inflict you with a toe injury or a stomach injury to get your attention. He gets your attention by his Holy Spirit, whose message cannot be thwarted, through his word, through the community of saints, in our hymns and prayers as we read the text. There are 1,071 verses in Matthew, and only 73 of them are about the healing acts of Jesus. And I'm separating when he healed someone deliberately from some of his other um, miracles because I believe they are different enough that they're both worth talking about. And I think his healing moments are like when you meet an author. Because Jesus was tired. I mean, we we have more than one reference to him taking a nap. So he was tired, and yet people would come to him and he was compassionate. Jesus would sometimes question whether the interaction with the person had much to do with his mission. I'm summarizing especially his um, interaction with the Canaanite woman. And yet he listened and engaged her holistically. Have you ever met an author and you wondered if they were like they are? I, I have some friends that met an author who just quoted himself the whole car ride. They had to take him to the airport. They were a little disappointed. (laughs) And I kind of want to say that Jesus is a model of how to engage people, but we just know we're never going to meet that. We are going to be tired and therefore not be compassionate towards people. We're going to judge people in ways that he didn't because it's human to do so. Can you see the scratch on my nose? I don't know if you can. Depends on your eyesight. It's from a Breathe Right strip, which is supposed to help me not snore. But knowing that I scratched myself, you probably have less compassion, right? As opposed to, say, if it had happened accidentally or if an animal had attacked me, if I had started a fight with someone in a supermarket, you would have been even less, you'd have even less compassion for me because that would be very, very stupid, right? 
In some of the healings, Jesus forgives their sin first, then he heals them, indicating probably that their sickness had something to do with their lifestyle, which is why he sometimes addresses the sin first and sometimes not. He has compassion regardless. In John, he heals a man who's blind, and he uh, spits on the ground and puts mud with spit on the man's eyes. And then what does the man say? Do you remember? Jesus basically asks, like, how's it going? And the guy says, I see men. They look like trees, which tells us that the man was not born blind. And then Jesus finishes healing him mysteriously to teach us something about compassion and conversation and his holistic engagement with all of these people that came to him. Jesus heals many as part of his mission against all evil agents. Sickness is not how it's supposed to be. A number of years ago, a man who attends the first service, Brian Maurer, was preaching, and he is a physician's assistant by trade, and he told the congregation that most of the things that Jesus healed, we still don't have cures for. We have treatment for many of it, but cures for not very many. He cured people of back pain, skin, issues of bleeding, blind, deafness, and he was always compassionate, even if they had something to do with why they were suffering. The evil agents in the world, we will judge differently, and yet all should lead us to compassion for those in our life. Regularly in all of the Gospels, Jesus casts out demons, and he does so quickly and decisively. And this is where we get to be odd folks in the 21st century, because the Bible is quite clear that evil exists and it's real. That there are Agents that used to be messengers of God, that's the, the word for angel in both Greek and Hebrew means messenger. They were agents of God and they turned away from him. They are real and they don't have an ounce of authority over you that is not from God. And guess what? For the last 45 minutes, you have been doing the very, very last thing they want a human to do. Literally. The very last thing that all evil, but especially evil spirits in this world want, is for someone to worship the one true living God. Which is why I can then tell you, you have nothing to fear. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you need to know that there's evil in the world and only in him can you receive full protection from it. It will not always feel like protection because of our limitations and parts of, and the, the kingdom that we cannot see. And yet you are protected today and eternally if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. Which is why we pray every day for protection, even knowing in the moment that we have it, Jesus told us to continue to pray for it. It's not just sickness and it's not just demons, it is death also. I 
I should have realized when I was writing the sermon it was going to get me emotionally. Some of you are like, do you not know yourself? I do, but I forget. I'm thinking about you people when I write. Just bringing to mind the things and the people that I'm grieving. Friends, listen. It doesn't matter how old the person is. Death is not how it's supposed to be. It doesn't matter if they were sick for a long time. It's still a violation of the good when someone dies, even if it's a relief because they were suffering. It could, it, we can have these emotions and thoughts at the same time, and we're actually supposed to. That's what it means to grieve with hope. Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians. It is supposed to bother us, and we can be bothered and be people with hope. We can be bothered and be people of hope. If there is a kingdom available to us, which we receive by faith, that is Jesus in us, that's the Holy Spirit in us, then we're people of hope and comfort and presence and witness. And most of the time, this is what that's going to look like. with your grieving friends. Lynn Schoenhart and I were talking a number of months ago and she was reading a book and she said, the most courageous thing you could say, and I said, is nothing. Most of the time to a grieving person. When they want to ask you something they're going to, you can wait and you're like, I can't, I get so nervous. We can all receive the Holy Spirit growing us up and we can actually wait to talk. We can grieve with those people, full of hope in all of Jesus' promises and with the knowledge that we have this incredible opportunity to sit. That's the kingdom breaking in. That's healing to that person. If you're an interconnected person, your mind and your gut and your body and your heart, if all those things interact with one another, then when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus, you're releasing a toxin called sin. And that's good for you physically. And then when you sit with a grieving friend or with a sick friend, that is offering something invisible but good and beautiful in the world. I have a pro tip for you. If you have a sick friend and you're wondering if they want to see you, you don't need to go for very long because they don't have a lot of energy. But go ahead and go. Don't talk yourself out of it. Not if they're contagious. That's not what I'm talking about. You all know that. If we have received by faith this kingdom, then we offer it to people. And listen, read the room with respect to your words in that moment the grieving and the hurting person. If you don't know how to read the room, well, that's okay. Still show up. Picture of me from 2009 at a wedding. We're being silly on purpose. You can chuckle. My hair is just beginning to grow back. We thought I had a lot of hair until we saw those pictures. We're like, nope. That's my friend Jeff in the middle of the picture. It's the only picture I could find. When I was sick, what people would do that I appreciated was they would offer, not ask. 
When you have a friend who's sick or grieving, don't ask what you can do. Offer something. It's a lot easier. They have no creative energy for you or anything else. But you have the citizenship of heaven in you so you can move toward them even if you're sad and concerned about your own anxiety in visiting a sick or grieving person. You can still sit with them and encourage them with your presence because of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you. A friend that lived a block away called and said, I made a blueberry pie. Can we bring it over and eat it with you? And I loved that offer because I had nothing creative to say. Other friends would say, what can we do? I have no idea. And I have an even taller order for you. Friends, when you're sick, let people know. You not only have the Holy Spirit, followers of Jesus, you have the communion of saints. Years ago, actually at the wedding of the person whose picture that was, I asked him um, to let me know what blind spots I have. Because sometimes leadership coaches or leadership speakers talk me into asking questions like that that the answer is going to sting a little bit. And he said, when you're not doing great, you tell me, but you tell me in such a way that like I'm not supposed to help you. And you probably need a little more help than you think you do. Have you ever gotten feedback like that that was just like, oh! <laughs> Oscar Wilde said, friends stab you in the front. When you're sick or grieving, tell a handful of people here. You don't have to tell everybody. And do it wisely. And I know if you tell three people, one of them's going to say something stupid. They are. Come on, you already knew it. But we are supposed to be a healing community for one another. We are supposed to be present for and with one another because of Jesus, who modeled it so beautifully and left us not only the Holy Spirit, but each other. I'm reading... uh, Prayer in the Night by Tish Harrison Warren, an Anglican priest. And she writes this. The church's task is to learn to keep our eyes peeled for how God is at work. We gather each week watching for the coming king and with the earnestness of the Audubon Society, we look for the quiet, overlooked glory in our midst, for God's perplexing yet healing presence in the world. We watch for glimpses of the redemption to come even now. Through prayer, through gathered worship, through the scriptures and sacraments, we train our eyes to notice the light in the darkness. That is what we're doing. That is what we long to continue doing as God does his invisible but very real healing work in us. Gathering people into his family and maturing them in love for him and neighbor. Would you pray with me? Father, I ask that you mature us as a healed and healing community. And for those that are considering your gospel, would you draw near to them in prayer and conversation with friends and draw them to yourself that they might be healed and eternally yours. 
Father, would you help us when our friends are sick and grieving to sit with them? And when we are sick and grieving, would you help us to remember to reach out wisely, but to do it nonetheless to the communion of saints that you have given us? Holy Spirit, it would be better if you would return before I'm done with this prayer. In the meantime, strengthen and enliven us in love of you and one another. Amen.